Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I keep interviewing the uh, founders of today's uh, company. Companies called Unbalanced. I've talked to them for years because I've used them for years. What they did for me was create a landing page to my very first product that I sold in Mixergy, and they made it look great. And boy, over the years, they have stuck with really good looking pages that convert. And what they've been adding is more, well, let me introduce the founder. Uh, Ali Gardner is one of the co-founders of Unbounce. They are a conversion intelligence platform. The reason that I pause is because I think unless I introduce you, it's going to sound ridiculous. You added artificial intelligence. I feel like it's one of those things that companies just say they've added so that it adds like this perception of quality and invincibility. And in reality, it doesn't really do anything, but one day it will. And what you're telling me is, no, with Unbounce, artificial intelligence does something. It doesn't do everything, but what it does will help marketers. And we're going to talk about how that works. And we're going to talk about how the company is doing now, how it's grown since the last time I've done the, uh, an interview with Ollie back in uh, 2018, and about raising money and so much more. We could do it thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're hosting a website, use the company I use. I use HostGator, and you could get a really great deal on them at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. The second, if you need good email marketing, I'm going to tell you later why Send in Blue is the company to work with. But I'll talk about those later. First, Ali, good to have you here. It's great to be back. Thank you. There was a potential issue with the way that I expressed revenue last time. The The interview was 2018. You went back and you like fact checked it. I said that at the time you had 25 million in recurring revenue. Annual, yeah. Annual. Yeah. And that Which was correct, was, but it was. was Canadian dollars. Okay. And um, today, where are we in Canadian dollars? So now we're at 28 US, so like 33, 34, depending on the exchange rate. Okay. And... I remember we talked a little bit about um, not going bankrupt, but what was the term that you used for Consumer it? Consumer proposal. That's where you were. Yeah, and I, when we started the company, yeah. Personally. Mm -hmm. And today you've raised money for the business. Can you talk a little bit about the raise for Unbounce? Yeah, we've always kind of held off. I mean, we raised like under a million Canadian back in the day. We've held off on doing it because we're like, we're not going to raise money unless we have a really good idea what we're going to do with it. We're not just going to get it and then blow it on fancy cars or toys or whatever. Uh, or just waste it. But then the time felt right because we are in the AI space now and we needed to accelerate that. And, you know, we found an amazing partner. It was, it started to come to us, to be honest. And then we thought, okay, we'll take this seriously this time. And yeah, we found a great partner called Crestrock. And they were aligned with our values. They didn't want to come in and change anything. And the great thing about them was, you know, we took a bit off the table as founders and every shareholder, like everybody got a piece of this deal. It was, it was amazing to see the little bit of a life change that it could have on, you know, 150, 200 people. That was one of the best things for us. I read in TechCrunch, it's 38.4 million US dollars is a raise. You're yep. saying some of that went to the people who work at Unbounce? Mm-hmm. It did. Yeah. Every How? single option and shareholder got something because we cleaned up the cap table. Okay. Because um, we had, even though it was a small raise last time, it was quite a big pool. Uh, and then all the employees that had a piece, it was just a bit of a messy cap table. So we cleaned okay. that up. Everybody got the same as us. We sold 47% of the company. Everybody got 47% of what they 
hand ah, available coming to them. Okay. So we all shared in the exact same percentage of what we got. And how much of that money then went into the company? And then we got 10 million US into the company, which is massive because now, now we're looking at, you know, in the space of acquisition and things like that, which is, it's exciting for us. And it means we're going to go accelerate even faster on some of the things we're doing. So it's, it's a super great time. We were looking at other deals and then they were more in the ballpark of, oh, but we're going to, you know, we're going to add some debt in here or do this. And we're like, ah, you know what? I mean, we turned down more money because we want to do it with people we respected and who weren't going to ruin things and who want to put some money in, you know, post instead of just like putting us in a worse position, we would have got more. Do I have a good understanding of who your early investors were? Was Eric Reese, the creator of Lean Startups, one of your early investors? He was? Howard no. Linsen? Well, uh, so how it worked, right at the beginning, we got an advisory panel of five people. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, five. So Eric Reese was one, Rand Fishkin, um, everybody. David Hauser, Dan David Martell, Hauser. David Hauser, yes. Grasshopper, Dan Martell, who's now mm -hmm. like an angel investor and advisor. Yeah, yeah. SaaS and it's interesting. They all put five grand in apart from Rand. He put nothing in. Okay. But he has Rand been, Fishkin. Yeah. He has been the most helpful and fundamentally, can I swear on your show? Fucking wonderful counterpart, like a friend and supporter of ours. And he's always been there because Moz were kind of like, I mean, he's moved on Spark Toro now, uh, but they were like a big brother to us. They're in Seattle, we're Vancouver. They were a few years ahead of us, still SaaS. So they shared, he shared so much. And we did like a, we took 20 people of the team one down for a couple of days, met with the exact same 20 people from Moz, went out for dinner, all hung out, ex exchanging kind of insights and things. It's just, it was a great relationship and it was just, uh, yeah, it's always been an amazing relationship with Rand. He's, you know he's what I wonder player. about with Mo with Rand Fishkin, the creator of Moz is, I wonder if he's hurting himself by being too nice. Like, <laughs> I like he's, he's spending all his time with you for the same upside as David Hauser. My guess is David Hauser is a really like sturdy, good guy, but he's not spending a week of his time <laughs> on you. No, I mean, but, but this is, you know, little pieces, but that's, that's Rand's thing. He has so much capacity in him. I'm saying he might be better mm. off not making it his thing so much, you know? Maybe so. It's great for us. Maybe he wouldn't be who he is, right? He wouldn't be talked about in the same way. He wouldn't have achieved what he's done because he wouldn't have been, you know, helping all these people. Uh, you can't tell, right? You don't know. But I um, I think it's great for the rest of us. I, don't, I, I still wonder for him. Let's come back to something else that you told me in the last interview that we did. I asked you if, if going through, what is it called again? The consumer or something? It's basically consumer bankruptcy. proposal. It's similar. Basically what you do is you take your debt and you have an intermediary and they go to all of your debtors and they say, hey, bankruptcy is probably going to happen, um, but we'll pay you 33 cents on the dollar. But they negotiate that. So you'll get something. And just go, uh, let's get rid of all the debt. You'll yeah. get some and money. You'll, you'll get it. something instead of nothing. What was your biggest debt at the time out. that you had this? Like the total amount? Um, for uh, for what? what? Was it credit card debt? Uh, credit card, line of credit, uh, all kinds of crap. Okay. Um, all right. So you had that and then you got rid of it. And I asked you how what your relationship was like with money. And you told me essentially that you still had trouble spending money. This was in the early days of Unbalanced. You'd 
you had to go through this process. I asked you, what do you spend money on? And I think the big splurge you told me about back then was we needed some charging bricks around the house and I did it. Do you feel like now that you've taken some money off the table, do you feel comfortable <laughs> enough to spend on something more meaningful than chargers? It's, it's funny. I don't even remember what they were, but um, I have a problem with spending money as I'm bad at it. Okay. I, like I spend too much. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm terrible. Oh, you money. do spend money now. You still spend a lot of money. I'm right. Well, I have in the past, but that's, that's kind of why I got myself in trouble. Well, yeah. Partly, I got in trouble also because I got really sick in Costa Rica when I was working down there. So I was just, I was just knocked out for six. Again, months. early days work. of unbalance. Yeah. Six months couldn't work. Okay. But now, yeah. Um, now I have to be careful because I got what's, a bit of money. Not what's a big splurge that you? What's something that you spent money on that you couldn't? Uh, we we bought a house. Okay. No, come on, more than that. Uh, like bigger than that. <laughs> Did you get anything like, more fun than a house? Oh, more no. fun. Yeah, of course. Um, I'm, I, have, I had a workshop. We moved from Vancouver to Victoria on Vancouver Island. So that was okay. a big change. Also great for COVID because there was virtually nothing yeah. here. Um, so I sold all my workshop gear there because I'm a big, big woodworker um, and then upgraded that massively for here. Uh, I haven't set it up still yet. We moved in August, but we, okay. I, I caused a fire. Okay. In our, I almost burned on you house then. Because of this wood shop that you're trying to put together? Yeah, I was, uh, okay, you can't see it, but right here, there's a huh? stage. I okay. built a stage. Um, I can get up on it. Oh, I see it. Yeah, it does look great, by the way. Um, so I was, and I understand this, uh, what I did wrong. I already knew about it. I shouldn't have made this mistake. So I was staining it, and I thought I bought water-based stain. It was oil-based, and I know the oily rags, uh, water-based rags, whatever, oil-based rags, you have to either lay them in the sun until they completely dry and then throw them away or put them in a can full of water. I put a whole bundle of them together in a bin bag, in a garbage bag, and just left them. What happens when they're like that, they get a bit of heat and then they spontaneously combust. Ooh. Okay. So we woke up at 3 a.m. Luckily, we just installed new fire alarms that weren't there before. Blazing like smoke and fire in the garage. Luckily, it was two feet, it was two feet from three quarters of a ton of wood that I brought with us from my last workshop. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I digress. You know what? Maybe you shouldn't be spending money. All right, let's get back then to how you're earning it. <laughs> the thing that strikes me about Unbounce is a lot of other a lot of other companies have gotten into the landing page conversion business. And those that were in it before, so I wonder about competition for you, but then those that were in it before decided that they were going to do more than just landing pages. Well, if you have a landing page, you also need to collect credit cards. So they're going to do the credit card payment also. Well, if you have a landing page, you're going to collect email address. So they're going to do the email marketing also. And they just branch off. And it's a natural because consumers, many of them struggle to connect an email marketing software to the landing page software. Um, and then once they do use you for email, they're much more locked in. You decided at Unbounce not to do that. I wonder how you make a decision like that. Yeah, it's a, it is a natural evolution. And, you know, we have churn from people who are like, we've outgrown it because we need these connections. We integrate with, you know, a lot of native integrations and then Zapier to everything. So that problem doesn't exist if you're willing to go that route for people. Um, but I, I think when we made the decision, you know, because we were growing, adding different products, but then we were heavy on R&D for the AI machine learning side. If that hadn't give us, given us a signal, that we were getting somewhere, we may have done that. 
but the how long ago so did you go strong. into artificial intelligence? Uh, I mean, it's been an R and D for probably, I'm just going to guess and say four years. Okay. So four years ago, you said, let's dip our toe in this. If it makes mm -hmm. sense, we'll go here. If not, we'll go somewhere else. And then how long did you know, how long did it take to know that this was a place to put all your chips? Um, after about a year, it slowed at a certain point, but we started getting to the point where we could, like when we talked last time, we could predict with like 90% certainty whether a page would be a high performer or a low performer. We started getting these signals and we learned more and more and more and we moved into the traffic analysis kind of thing. So all of the on-page was about copy. We've done some design analysis that's much harder. We had some universities help us to do studies about the effects of design using neural networks and all kinds of things to figure out that side of it. Ours has been primarily copy. Then we added in traffic, all of the factors you can find out about someone when they're arriving and pairing those things together gave us so much more power. And that's what we built our technology on the kind of combination of that. So it's not artificial intelligence that will create the landing page for me or create the variants for me. It's artificial intelligence that says, this marketer has multiple pages with us and people coming from multiple channels. For each person who comes, which of their pages is most likely to convert? And I'm using pages as shorthand. I know you do more than just landing pages, yep. but that's essentially what we're talking about, right? Yeah, so if we rewind to the traditional A-B testing model, this replaces that. So in A-B testing, A-B testing is inherently a lossy system. What I mean by that is imagine a JPEG compression. Okay. You have a nice image at the end of the day, but you lost a bit of the detail. You okay. might not be able to tell if you don't go too far, but you have lost some forever, right? A-B testing, you're running it, da-da-da, A wins by 20%, let's say. You throw B away. This one won. The problem is there are some people who would only ever have converted on B. Now you've lost them forever, right? You've compressed them away, essentially. Yeah. But with our system, basically, you create a whole bunch of variants, uh, and we give you insights to help you make those. Uh, and they will be automated to some degree in the future in the builder. But right now, we'll give you the insights to help you make more of them. And the algorithm will pair the person with the page they're more likely to convert on based on what we figured out with our algorithm, um, based on things like location, time of day, device, browser, all that kind of stuff, and the on-page stuff we're analyzing. And our customers, so basically, if they were going to run an A-B test, they can click a button. It turns into being smart traffic. That's what the feature is called. Yeah. And they're seeing an average of a 30% lift in conversions just by clicking that button. Yeah, and it's coming from you said where you're traffic... not throwing away these losing pages because they're right. slightly, they're they're a perfect page for this person, so you keep them all, and everybody gets to go because everyone's nuanced. Yes, pages should be nuanced too, and we find them. You know what I found? I found a few things when I've when I've done A/B testing on landing pages. The first is it seems like no matter what the new thing is, it's more likely to succeed over the last one. I don't know why. And then the other thing, no, huh? I just face that. We, well, every single person in the world fails at A-B testing the first time. They all do it wrong. I did. Everybody What's does the mistake it wrong. that we do? Well, there's two things. There's not understanding the statistical significance angle. But in simple terms, not running it for long enough, like say three weeks till it gets 250 conversions per variant, blah, blah, blah. Um, people 
what happens at the start of every A-B test is there's a spike because there's such a small sample size. Oh, A converted 10 times to two because it hasn't run its course. I was like, oh, wow, this one's five times better. Oh, throw that away. No, it's a complete failure. You, then you potentially push forward a page that is going to perform much worse because you haven't let it run the course. And it's complicated. It's hard. It's hard to design a page that's going to perform better unless you become an expert in that finding those pain points, what the points of friction are, and knowing how to design a solution to that, it's very difficult. So it's frustrating, people stop doing it. And especially since COVID, we've, we've had to deal with a, a foundational marketer, people coming online for the first time or doing everything themselves, running a business, trying to do marketing, yep. they can't get into that. That's impossible. It's too much to learn, it's too, mu it's too and, difficult. And, and then that brings me to the next issue. For most marketers, A-B testing just doesn't have enough, they don't have enough traffic to do it. It's not until they get That's into the heavier yeah. ad spend that it starts to make sense, right? Yeah, you, what you need to do immediately is use a sample size calculator. It's the first thing you should ever do. It'll tell you how much traffic you need. And if you, and it depends on the conversion rate, like say the, um, you, but you might need let's say it'll, this thing will tell you you need 25,000 visitors to get a significant result that you can trust. And if you look at your traffic and it says, well, we only get 1,500, it might take a year. Right. Or, or 50 or years. Or even a month. To run. Yeah. A month is fine. Three weeks to a month, that's fine. You okay. don't want to go longer than that because then you start getting kind of inverse variances that can pollute it. Um, okay. But a lot of the time you'll see, especially if you're being paid, if you're not a big company, your paid traffic is going to be tiny you should yeah. never run an A-B test in your life. And, and that's why it feels like for Unbounce, if you've got newer marketers who are using you, then adding email marketing software into your, into your software, adding features that lock people in and get them to cancel the other software that they use, seems like it would have been a better bet. So beyond the, the, beyond the early wins that you were getting from AI, I was wondering if you also noticed that you wanted to go for these higher powered customers like the agencies because they're more they're power users of your software they're more they're more profitable and that's where you want mm -hmm. to focus your energy yeah i know one thing i have to say uh ab testing you need all that traffic with smart traffic it will start optimizing in as few as 50 visitors you don't need a lot of traffic and it will start optimizing. And then at what point conversion. does it start to show results, start to actually know who to show? Immediately. So you're saying after 50 visitors, you already know it's which page to It's going to start doing its business because um, the algorithm is so intelligent that it's learned from billions of conversions, probably hundreds of millions. We've had billions since we started the company. Um, so it gets some insight from your specifics, but it, it's so intelligent outside of that that it can make the decisions way quicker than it would if it was just looking at you by itself. Um, so anyway, but back to your question, um, agencies. Uh, so yeah, these foundational markers, that's the new kind of people coming in. We still have the others, like agencies and SaaS and e-com. Agencies and SaaS are our biggest kind of segments. That's the target we go after. Um, so yeah, they have the budgets, they have, it's interesting, the conversion benchmark report we just put out, which is based on all of the data studies we do, shows things like different industries, how they perform. Um, and there are certain industries that vary quite wildly, like over, year over year, we're seeing a big change, a lot more traffic this year, probably because of COVID. 
because um, people are getting online for the first time, but companies, things like SaaS and real estate, their conversion rates haven't really changed year over year, a slight increase, but there are other industries that have made a massive leap because uh, I think there's just a wild change in how things work. I have information here, but it's hard to pull it all out of my, out of my head. You're talking um, about your benchmark report to, to talk about what's happened over the last year, how online conversions, shopping, and just general interaction have changed. Yeah. Traffic to landing pages is up like 30% year over year. Because of what? Because people are buying more marketers are buying more online ads now. Uh, there's probably more, there's more spend, but maybe they're getting better. And this isn't just because more customers, this is the average that they're, that is getting sent out there. Uh -huh. COVID probably has a big impact on that, you know, because the, people are you know, panicking what, online. Let me do this. Let me talk about my first sponsor. Then when we come back, here's what I thought we could talk about. I'm wondering how you added artificial intelligence to your business. It's not an easy thing. You didn't have the internal expertise, right? What did you do to add it in? The other thing I'm wondering about is some more of this data that you found by by looking at all the marketers who are using Unbounce. And then I'm also curious about what happened uh, after COVID. I feel like the world changed dramatically. How you dealt with it is helpful for us to see how to deal with the next big issue that we're going to have. And then also it's uh, it's going to tell us what you're seeing as is different in the marketing world. But first, I'll tell you and everyone else, my first sponsor is a company called HostGator. Ali, let me ask you this. If you weren't running Unbounce, if you had no money, no reputation, all you had was a HostGator account, you could run any website. Is there something that you would run today if you had to get back up on your feet? I'm about to launch a new business, but I probably shouldn't monopolize this conversation. Talk about it. Yeah, go ahead. Is it? Talk about it. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. But for the team's sake, I'll, I'll just touch on it briefly. Um, it's based on my passion for the last year's public speaker. So it's called Be the Keynote. Mm -hmm. And it's all it's everything you need to become an exceptional public speaker and virtual presenter, which is why I have built a stage. And these are the core values of, of the company. The lights over your head. So wait, this is going to be a content <laughs> business where you teach people on a blog, I'm assuming, how they give them some tips for better speaking convert them into people who who get the free download of some kind, probably a PDF, if not a course? Uh, there'll be, there's going to be some courses. Mm -hmm. There'll be like a, a foundational major flagship course, which is uh, presentation experience design. Okay. Um, which will be everything I know about how to do that. And then there's going to be just a membership area where there's a lot of tips, a lot of videos, a lot of heavy, heavy video training. Okay. Um, and yeah, blog, of course, on the, you know, for the inbound side, but yeah, I'm, I'm WordPress? really excited. Yeah, I, I'm a one man show. I got to do everything. So, yeah. All right. Listen up, everyone. Whether you're taking an idea like this or anything else, if you need a place to host it, do what Ollie did. He went and got WordPress. It's free, it's portable. If you're not happy with your hosting company, you can move over to somebody else. It's extendable. And more importantly, right now, you can get started inexpensively and fast if you go to hostgator.com slash mixergy. And Ollie, did you start off by saying, what am I good at or what do I, what do I want to spend a lot more time improving? What's the, how did you find the topic of public speaking? Um, I started doing it maybe seven years ago. I was coerced into doing it. Uh -huh. I never wanted to do it. I was shit scared of it, uh, but it completely changed my life. Once I actually did it, you know, it's how I met my wife and, you know, she saw me doing a gig in Vegas and yeah, everything changed since then. My confidence, my knowledge, because when you become a speaker, you have to yeah. dig way deeper into what you know to be able to communicate it. 
And I met, made lifelong friends with all these other speakers. And so you said, this is what changed my life. I want to spread yep. the gospel to others. Got it. That makes a total. Yeah, I was doing sense. coaching and turning people from nervous, not good speakers into being amazing speakers who'd get on stage and then they get a new job offer and leave unbounds. So, <laughs> so I, I was very successful, but that doesn't scale. So I want to make something that I can, you know, empower hundreds of thousands of people to get better. You know what? I feel like there are a lot of topics that people get that excited about that have changed their lives, but can be modernized. I'll give you an example. My life was changed when I read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Somebody recently asked, what's your favorite book? I, I wrote that on, as a response on Twitter. A bunch of people liked it, talked about it. So there's clearly energy for it. But I've got to tell you, that book, their stories are outdated. The company behind it is a really solid, good company. It's outdated. They're not modernized. They don't know how to present in the, in the uh, podcast, YouTube, Instagram world. Can you imagine if somebody says, my life was changed by learning about how other people's operating systems work? And as a result, I have better relations, but I'm, I don't use the old language of, of how to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie is, is about a hundred years old, his, his <laughs> concepts, right? Literally. Yeah. And so imagine if they said, I'm going to take these concepts and modernize them and think about what would happen there. All right. I'm going to close out this whole skater ad by saying, whether that's your idea, you take an old concept and you make your spin on it, something that's helped you and you make it interesting for others because you want to pass on to them. Or frankly, some people have said, I just want to learn. And by, by teaching, I get to learn. Whatever your idea is, if you go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy, they're going to give you the lowest possible price and they'll take great care of you and their hosting will just work. Go run your business and come back here and hopefully do an interview with me about how you did it. But it all starts with hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right. Why don't we start with uh, the a AI? Where did you go when you said we want to add artificial intelligence? How did you find the right person to lead it? We found a guy uh, called Tommy Levy, who at the time was working at Plenty of Fish, which is a online dating company. It's, it's a free it's dating co company yeah, uh, that was acquired by Match. Yeah, it's hilarious because then another employee unbounce, I, I believe um found their wife through plenty of fish so his algorithm helped wow. change this person's life so wait how did you connect with them i i found that that company is is interesting but because marcus at the that's his name right the founder was i forget it sounds familiar it was kind of quirky but fascinating i couldn't stop reading him and following what he was doing by creating this free dating site i found that they they were it was hard to penetrate that that business how did you connect with him I, I imagine I wasn't uh, involved in the in meeting him. I imagine it was the meetup scene in Vancouver, and it would have been the other developers uh, in the uh -huh. company. They met through those means. I and imagine just talking he speaks to... a little bit at some of those uh -huh. things. So I think that's probably how. And so you get to see what he's done for Plenty of Fish. Do you hire him as a consultant? No, we hired him to full time build an AI team. To build you said our build an AI team. team before, and you guys didn't have that much money in the bank. You still decided <laughs> to invest in this person and a team yep. before you knew whether this would pay off. Yep. So this isn't like a little bet, let's see if there's something here. This is, let's go into it. We feel strongly about it. And as long as there's enough to justify that belief, we'll keep investing. And when we see that there isn't, we're going to have to accept it. That's what it was. Yeah, because there's so many competitors coming along. And mm -hmm. we... There's, there was just a market share. We we couldn't get all of it, you know. Like, and the, it's a big market share, but it was diminishing. 
So we had to be better than them, other than the fact that our brand and our people are better. I'm sure they have uh -huh. great people too, but our reputation is. Well, I'll tell you what you always fantastic. have that others that others in the space don't have. There's a certain taste to your company, right? Lots of other companies come out there. They're more feature based. They're more they they have other reasons why people might sign up to them, but there is a taste to unbounce that's hard to duplicate. What do you think of that? assessment i've never heard it positioned like that but i i totally agree uh, and i think you know it's the people we've hired but and it but it began with the founders we we've just always had a certain ethical kind of or just certain personality i don't know it just it just translated into that it is a certain personality certain taste sense of like this minimalism sense of style right um like i'm not surprised when i look over your shoulder and i see that there's there there's a nice wall there. There's this whole design there, right? <laughs> you put thought into it. I asked you uh, if you wouldn't mind recording your side of the conversation. My plan was to give you access to Zoom before I even said Zoom. You said, I would never use Zoom. Let me use my own connection because Zoom just doesn't, co it compresses it in this way. I go, all right, this sounds good. That's fine, well, right? you have to know that the first major piece of content I'll be launching on Be The Keynote is the ultimate guide to giving virtual presentations on Zoom. It's the biggest piece of content I've ever, content I've ever written. It's 30,000 30, words and massive, massive videos and everything. So I, I know a fair bit about Zoom from the last couple of months of research. Yikes. I, uh, I feel like we're all learning a lot about Zoom. Let's, all right. So now I see how you ended up in artificial intelligence. I see how it's, how it went. Let's go into COVID. COVID yep. hits. I wouldn't have thought that you'd be scared. And you know what, in retrospect, it seems so ridiculous for any of us to have been scared if we're in tech, because this, this was a world uh, unfairly shifting our way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just don't think we could imagine how much initially, because one of the right. fears was ad spend will plummet. Yep. Right. Uh, I think it went up in a lot of ways, but yeah, our, our signups went up because of the mad rush to get online, because all these bit offline businesses had to start doing deliveries or switching their business model. And they needed a way to communicate. They needed a platform to communicate. So they turned to us and it was surprising and it was amazing. So when we raised money in a pandemic and a global recession, we, we kept hiring during so all the, of that. When you went through that scared period, you're not alone. I'm telling you, I interviewed yeah. entrepreneurs in the early days of the pandemic who were flipping out, right? And I thought we were going to go into recession. I was ready for it, but um, I didn't want it, but I was ready to cut back on. I remember in one of the early interviews saying, I can't believe we used to drive around and I would always go and get a nice cup of coffee while I was driving. Why couldn't I just make one at home? I was leaving from the house. I mean, while well, none of that mattered, but talk about when you were freaking out, what was your freak out? What was your worry? We were just. You personally, Ali. Um, was it? Well, we were scared. We'd have to lay it? people off. Okay. But for me, I think it was, you know, 12 years in now and it's exhausting. And we tried to raise money before, cause this process had been going on before COVID hit. And we tried a few years prior to that. And at the last minute, the plug got pulled. It was, it's just exhausting going through that. And then we're going through, everything looked great. We had several companies interested and then COVID hits. They all run away apart from the one we went with because because they, they valued the long term. And one of the greatest things they said to us was, we're still interested. 
We're not going to change our offer. We're not going to go down because of the situation. We believe in this. Let's still do it. And we're like, yeah, fuck yeah. And so it, your fear it was, was fear. this was 12 years. And now just and as lose I'm tired, I'm yeah. going to have to got it. And so that's why I'm surprised that you would go and do the speaking thing on the side. Why not say, you know what? I think I could take a month off. I think I could make 2021 be my sabbatical year, still run unbounds, but take some space. I already took my, we give people a five year and a 10 year sabbatical. I, you I do? Think, yeah. I had no idea. So you took a sabbatical two years ago? No, uh, it was about a year ago. I took, man, okay. it was, was it before COVID? I forget. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was a big year. A, no, it wasn't that. It was it was a few months. Um, it was right around the time I coupled it with because I had a kid. We had a kid, um, so it was perfect timing. Actually, COVID was perfect in a couple of ways because it stopped public speaking. I mean, I'm not scared about my new business because virtual speaking is much bigger than public speaking, and everyone will get back to public speaking anyway. But that aspect of my my life, which is all I did, I traveled the world as a public speaker. That got cut to zero overnight. At the same time, I was having a kid, which is perfect. So I got, I got to not miss a single day. So right. COVID was... hits, you get worried. Suddenly you discover, you know what? We're actually doing okay. More marketers are coming on, but it's new marketers. Our people are so experienced. They understand what an A-B test is. New people don't know what A or B means, let alone how to do one, right? And so you, how did you realize that? How did you know that that's something that was an issue for you? And then how did you deal with it? about the, this, this new kind of cohort, it kind of went right back to the day one almost where, you know, cause we were the first self-serve landing page company. So it was all very new then and testing was a very new thing to the masses. There were hardcore people who were doing it before that and big companies who coded it all themselves, the testing and everything. Um, but most people had not ever done it or heard of it. So we had to educate those people way back then. So we, we were used to doing that. We didn't have to really do it as much anymore. But so we just kind of had to go back to our roots. Which how was, you know, I'm which about was, to talk to Paul English, the founder of Kayak. Everything I see about him is constantly talk to your customers. He would force his engineers, one of the first entrepreneurs to force his engineers to do customer service calls, I think even, right. not just email calls. He's a guy who is known for driving around Boston in his Tesla as an Uber driver so that he could take notes <laughs> on what people were talking about to understand, right? He, he loves that stuff. What was it that you did that helped you understand that? Helped you see, hey, things are shifting. Uh, it would have been the support calls. You know, the, the questions. You've been on support calls too. No, we did it, we did it at the beginning, but that those are the signals we got. The questions changed. Ah, right? okay. It was no, there were a different type of question. Um, often about how do I do all this versus how do I can how do I set up a C, C name or how do I connect to Salesforce? It was about how, how does this all work? What, what do I do? <laughs> so we've got from a content perspective, we've gone right back to helping people kind of onboard into the concept of being a marketer as much as anything else. All right. I'm going to talk about my second sponsor. Then I want to understand what are you noticing across the board? You've got lots of marketers who are using your software. I want to know what's working, what's not, how we can learn from them. First, my second sponsor is a company called Send In Blue. They do email marketing. And the first thing that I think most people think about when I say that is, well, another email marketing software, we've got tons of them. What's the point with Send In Blue? There are a lot of points. 
Number one, the thing that lights up a lot of experienced marketers' eyes is this. They know that when they started out with their email software, it was inexpensive and it worked okay. The more they grew their email list, the, the more the price just kept going up and up and up. And at some point they said, this is unfair. I've had one entrepreneur I interviewed, he sent out one email and that tipped him over to some other tier. And suddenly he's paying tens of thousands more because of that one email. And so it's unfair. It's, un, it's, it's, it's not unexpected, but it feels like it. Like, why would they suddenly do this to me? Our business didn't change that dramatically. And this expense is suddenly becoming significant. And that's one of the reasons that people go to sign up for Send in Blue. What Send in Blue does is it lets you start for free, especially if you use my URL, and then it keeps the prices inexpensive, none of this sticker shock, none of this shocking thing. And then they have all the features that people like, like uh, that experienced marketers want when they're ready for it, like marketing automation. If somebody does something, you want to be able to send them a different email than if they didn't do something, right? All right. If you're out there and you want to get started with them and they do work with Unbounce, what I want you to do is go use them for free right now. I'm telling you, they're inexpensive and they're going to start out free if you go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy, sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. All right, the benchmark report. Why are you guys flogging this benchmark report? What's what's going on with this thing? You guys are so hopped up and excited about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's our second one and it's amazing. Basically, we it's 16 industries. We analyzed 44,000 landing pages, three 33 million conversions on those pages to get insights onto what actually influences conversion. And it's more useful than ever because of, you know, these new marketers coming online because it gives them a benchmark of where, what's a good conversion rate, what's an average, so where they kind of sit on that scale. But then it gives them advice, conversion insights about what they can change like, as so an I can see, for example, if I've got an education company, I've got, I give away a free video. I can see the percentage of what the conversion is for other companies like mine on a video giveaway. Am I right? No, it's more, well, there's some general things like that industry in general, what is the average conversion rate, but then it gets more nuanced looking at, uh, things like, um, number of words on your page, uh, the sentiment, the emotion, their reading ease. So. For example, SaaS, the reading ease, that's how easy it is to read on the flesh uh, reading ease scale. When you go from low is hard to read, high is easy to read. When you go between 20 and 100 on that reading ease scale, the conversion rate for SaaS businesses jumps from 4% to 11%. Ah, uh, okay. That's insane. Yeah, right? so almost that's a an 3x insight. improvement. So focus on simplifying your language. Uh, so, uh, Paid is the most predictable channel, but it averages at 2% conversion rate. Email is at 22%, but it's got a wide variance from five to 40. So knowing these socials in the middle for um, education, you said uh, social is the channel to focus on there. That's what we saw, it's the best channel. Uh, legal, lead gen for legal, Facebook versus Google ads, 6.1% uh, average, 3.5. Wait, 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 right, so say it again. These... So Facebook, Facebook versus what? Yeah, Facebook ads for legal industry lead gen, uh -huh. um, 6.1% average for Facebook ads versus Google ads, 3.5%. Got it. So for, for legal, do Facebook, not Google, assuming the price is, uh, the, price is the same. And you and do it until- it's going to be cheaper on Facebook, I think. At, uh... Got it. Okay. And All right. And for education- Finance, don't go finance. more than two form fields. Uh, really? try and bring it down there because some, it doesn't matter an awful lot, 
Okay. Size of your form, but for legal, go past two, and we saw our different conversions. And fear and sadness <laughs> in the copy. These these emotions, we saw emotions in general year over year drop significantly, like more anxiety, more sad, fearful words going to copy. Uh, maybe it makes sense because of COVID. I'm not sure if that's why. You're saying sadder language converted more, at, worse over COVID. So people thought having that sympathetic and tough times thing would would communicate empathy that would then get more people, more of their customers to convert. And in reality, it turned people off. They weren't ready for that. They didn't yeah, want for it. finance, it, it ranged from 15% down to 8%. Just by going to that negative in these tough times, blah, blah, blah. You know what? I found that in my email. Whenever somebody would pitch me an, an interview by saying, in these difficult times, we need somebody who can help us get through them. Our guests can show you. Can we make an introduction? I just would get so turned off. I wouldn't consider the guest, yeah. which is not the way I should be proceeding. But but every email started with the, like, it's, no, just get to your point. We're I all going through that. this. You don't I do wish to... somebody should do that also for email to just be able to, I guess, yes, mail did that for email and talked about how shorter messages work and nobody listens. You right. know what? We saw that as well. Um, overall, me. shorter pages in terms of word length converts better. But Year over year, pages are, get, are getting longer in terms of word count. They should be doing the opposite. Uh, so simplicity of language in general and shorter word count, it, we're seeing is converting better. So this is what can help these, these marketers who are new and experienced. You'd never know this. It's impossible if you know that. And we can I wouldn't. I do them. like also how you break this down based on the industry and um, and so on. So I can see, for example, if I was in home improvement or nutrition fitness, I can I can tap on it in this report and go see what um, uh, what your data shows for that industry. What I'm wondering is, why are you guys doing this? Is this like is this your way of recruiting experienced marketers? This is a pretty intense report that you put together, and you're out there promoting it. I mean, we just want to. We want to help businesses succeed. I mean, yeah, sure. If if they become a customer because of that, that's that's the goal. But we want people to convert more. They want you. They want to use us because we're the company that helps them get more business. You know, get more customers and, and survive. You know, like especially for these small businesses, they need every bit of help they they can get. They're not enterprise that has money to pour expertise and things like that. So we want to. I don't want to use. I mean, it's it's, it's a cliche term, democratize the access to this kind of insight, but that's what it is essentially. I Do you find that smaller businesses are using you guys? Way more now. Yep. They are. How small I mean, are we We priced about? away from that mm -hmm. over the long term because we were looking for a different segment. I apologize. My Mac is hissing like an angry snake. So we, we've raised our prices to get the customers we want, but we saw these other customers coming in again. And so now we have to help them and it's this kind of thing helps them and it's the content from this that is the type of thing that will be fed into our platform the new builder we're, we're building will have some of these insights baked in and more and more as we grow it so so if i start to go too now, long it will be in the tell tool me. you're saying unbounce in the future will say hey andrew you're going longer than is recommended for a site like yours uh, no, because it won't be able testing. Well, you can still do that. It will. Oh, I mean, yes. As I'm writing of, it in yeah, the builder, it'll tell we'll me. We'll analyze is... it. We'll say the reading ease. It's too. It's too complex. Yeah. Based on your industry, you should be trying to do this. Um. So yeah, it'll analyze the language, the length, all these kind of things, and I guess eventually, if you tell us what 
channels you're using will give you advice there. So there will be a lot more insight coming out as we extend it so that this report then kind of lives inside. 12 years, how do you keep yourself going and not feel burned out? Adding things like this, really. I mean, <laughs> this, this gets exciting because I was the, the marketer, right? When we started the company, the conversion expert, I've always wanted the answers to these questions. I've always wanted to be able to get up on stage and say, here are 25 things we thought we knew about conversion that are total bullshit. That's the talk I've always wanted to give. Uh, so it's exciting to me to have those answers, those questions answered. But that doesn't, that doesn't get you over the fact that everyone at the company is counting on you, that you need to solve problems, that you need to figure out what's next, that you need to deal with so much. They don't, they don't need me at all. <laughs> no. What's your day to day? You, you're just the guy who's out there talking, doing public. That speaking? was my job. Yeah. Um, so now, I mean, I work with the marketing team primarily on content with them. Um, but I've not been in an operational role for a long time. Other founders are, are part of that. We have a new president. Rick. She, she's amazing. She leads okay. the company. Um, Rick's still CEO. Um, Carter was a president. He's still a strategic advisor. So we're still there doing what we need to do, but they're self-sufficient. They're good at what they do. They don't, you know, I, I can help by being in places like this and speaking when I haven't, I mean, I'm still speaking, I'm doing virtual conferences. Uh, so, you know, that's the value I bring, but they can do their work without my help. All right. Let's close it out with this. What works for giving virtual presentations like the zoom meetings, the zoom webinars, the courses, the everything. You need to understand the tech. You need some simple lighting. You need to, if you, the most important thing when you're giving a virtual presentation is the recording. Yes, there's the in the moment experience for the audience, but for you, you need an excellent recording because then you can, virtual events are often using pre-recorded sessions. So you can shop that around. You can scale your talks now. If you do that, you can put it on your Wait, speaker others, page to help. Other, other events will take a recording of you instead of having you live? That's how the, a lot of them are setting up now. Uh, because virtual is so complicated, so many things can go wrong from a tech perspective. Having a pre-recorded, edited, well-packaged uh, yeah. piece of content. And the good ones, you still show up. So you're live chatting with the audience as the presentation goes on, which is amazing because you get feedback. They're like, they're laughing or they're going, what was that about? And, you know, uh, but it makes a better, a better uh, event typically. But because of that, it's great for speaker. So, you know, present over Zoom or whatever, but make your own recordings. Now I'll be getting to all that kind of stuff, the tech set up and that, but. What else? All right, so the tech, the tech is important. Mm -hmm. It's easier, I think, now than it had been in the past. Right, you get a nice microphone, get lighting, you're good. What else? Wait, the, but look at my lighting. My lighting's making me look like I'm ill. I'm I gotta, I gotta dim here. it. Yeah, you've got a lot of lighting. It's making you look like like you're so whiter than you are, room. and mine's making you look really red for some reason. <laughs> so, all right, maybe lighting is a pain in the butt. Yeah, and you know, also uh, slide design. A lot of people don't understand. Well, a they need to get better at it, but there's a big difference in virtual presentations. If you have animations, they're going to look like crap most of the time over yeah, Zoom. Yeah, that's disappointing. Because they'll, they'll, they'll be jerky. If you're playing, if you have audio in your slides, if you have a setup where, if you need something like Loopback, some software that will actually take the system audio, pair it with yours, and send it through. Because if you have a very common thing for presenter, they'll have headphones on, right? And the little mic, little white headphones. Uh, a, that's not very good quality, but 
the system audio won't play. You play your video, nobody hears it. Even if so, you tell Zoom to play the audio from the computer? You can try that and sometimes it works, but doing that, it's a, it's a bit of a cluster. So you're saying get the audio out of the computer and into a mixing board and then back into the no, computer? No, uh, there's, there's free software. I use one called Loopback which is costly. Like oh, I know what bucks. it does. It it's a virtual... sucks in audio from uh, from your computer, sucks in audio from your mic, and then mixes it into one Exactly, output. it makes Got virtual it. sources. You can take from Keynote or PowerPoint, uh, from Chrome, if you're gonna play a YouTube video, you package them all through with your mic to one okay. single audio source that, source that Zoom then uses and it all goes through. All right, what else? What about for content and for, for being interesting while people are watching you? <laughs> being interesting. That's uh well, that's a, that's a that's a tough thing. <laughs> um, you need to remember now that one of the most important things with a virtual presentation is you way more than the slides, because so you need to have you as a much of a presence as possible. Sometimes that's telling people, hey, you can move the screen like this, so I'm bigger, or things like that. But also, because people are often doing something else while they're doing this, they're not in a conference hall. Uh, you have to change your delivery. So you need to go, you need to sometimes, sometimes whisper. Say something about it. So what's he whispering about? Or just shout, but sh shout off, off the mic so it's not like totally painful for everybody. Uh, so they sense this rhythm change and they go, oh, oh, I'm gonna come back to pay attention to that. Or specifically tell people, hey, take a look at this slide instruct people what to do, they'll come back to it from do it. I have noticed that good speakers do that. They say, now this is a slide you want to see because, or notice mm -hmm. this part of the slide because varying uh, volume helps a lot also. Mm -hmm. Do you write that down for yourself? The way I- Do you ahead of time or is it just from practice, you know, this is- practice, but the way I design my presentations, which is what of course will be. Yeah. It's why it's called presentation experience design. I, I map out a flow of different experiences. I'm like, this is an aha moment. This is a funny moment. This is a tweetable moment. Da, 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 da. And I make sure there's a good flow of those broken up. Uh, and yeah, and I practice them like a comedian as bits. Each little part of the talk is a bit. You nail that, you know when it's coming, you're like, oh, you get excited. You're like, oh, I'm getting to that part, and that part's funny. Or like, and if you do that, then you can string them all together. You can make a greatest hits deck. You can do all kinds of things because you know that little part. You can tell that story perfectly when you get to it. You know, the hardest part is that we can't see the audience. Mark Cuban's got a new company called Fireside for podcasting. Um, and one of the things that they're trying to do is do podcast recording live and let the audience clap so you can hear their applause in your ears, let them, I guess, hit a button to laugh so you could see when they're reacting as a way of gauging how people are feeling. I hope that's going to help. I don't know if it will. I told them what they should do is give us video at least to the person we're interviewing because there's a lot that people don't realize that they're, that they're feeling, but their face communicates. And so we want to see that. I saw Tony Robbins give this presentation where he was staring at a wall full of Zoom videos of people, you know, so he could see their faces when they were reacting. That kind of thing is really helpful to watch people's faces as you're, as you're giving a presentation. I think a lot of times when you give a presentation, it's just you talking in your slides and everyone else can, can be off camera, but it's hard it's and to see it. my biggest thing, what I get most joy from is, is being funny in my talks that I know I'm succeeding if the audience laughs. Yeah, so that is really hard you can't get as that. a virtual speaker because yeah. you don't get it. You've just got to imagine some of it's muscle memory or memory from when I gave this talk. I know people are laughing at this point, but 
it's it's difficult and eye contact is a really tough thing so it's positioning your camera correctly ideally you're you're like i teach people to you know have a wireless clicker and set it up so you can do this mm. because so you can gesture then and the not angle, be right at the screen yeah the angle there is i'm looking at you in the eye if i'm sitting at my desk like this i'm doing you know i'm not looking at you because i keep looking at my slides so. Yeah, I've noticed that too. In the early days of doing these interviews, I did them live and I noticed that there was one guy that the people in the audience thought was being very arrogant. And I couldn't understand why. I went back and I watched a video and I realized he had his eyes down the whole time. I knew what he was doing. He was looking at the chat so that he could use it for feedback and guide his conversation. To them, he wasn't paying attention to them because he wasn't looking up at the camera. So after that, I started telling guests, put my window really small, yep. little thing that you right see there. me in, and put it right <laughs> underneath the webcam. So when you're looking, and if you want to do it with the chat, make that small enough that it doesn't take up the whole screen and then move it under the webcam so you can see that. You know what else I noticed that's really helpful? Um, my wife will sometimes do team building activities with uh, her team via Zoom and they'll mail stuff out so that they, they made this candle, for example, while they were talking, they made a candle. My son had, my sister did... Um, a scavenger hunt around the house. And so he got to go and hunt for things. I wonder if there's a way to get presenters to bring some, get the audience to bring something in to do something, to see it, to experience it. I don't know what, but if you could just come up with a thing for them to do, even if it's just go get a knife and a bar of soap and cut it into something. I don't know what go it get is. A knife. Go get a knife. I suck. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt me. I'm virtual. But I, I think these, these activities where you ask people to go and bring a thing that they get to do and do something that right. they couldn't have expect, something that they would be expected to have around the house, that would get them a result that they're not expecting to have would be interesting. Yeah, and you could, I mean, you could send things out to certain people. If you, if you collect the right information, uh, when people, are, if it's a paid gig or something, a paid right. virtual event or cheap, you can send something to, the, to 10 people's houses. So that like, and they're the lucky ones who you have the, the window there with them. So they what? participate or whatever. But yeah, yeah. This, the, the, we have to innovate because this is not going away. We do. And ideally, I guess the innovation would be better if it happened by software. If you could say, okay, everyone now go, now we're all going to try to hit this thing. And we're all going to try to right. do this one, not test, but this one little video game or one little thing together. And then we see what the results are. Now I'm going to show you one trick and go try it again. Now you see how your results are better. It's all because you learned this one thing. I don't know, right. something like that. I, I feel like yeah, some yeah. kind of interactions is so useful, but, um, See, now I'm just getting into this dreamy space where what else can we <laughs> add to this? this? All right. The website, obviously, for everyone out there who wants to go check it out, it's Unbounce. But if you want to see that report that we've been talking about, you can go to unbounce.com slash CBR, Conversion Benchmark Report, right? Unbounce.com slash CBR, Conversion Benchmark Report. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first, if you need a website hosted, go to go to the company that's hosting my website. It's called HostGator, and it's available at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And oh, no. No, imagine like some, no. I was thinking, can you be a coach that takes all of Ali Gardner's tips and then you do it for people? Imagine that. If they just say, look, I went through his course. <laughs> The first thing he tells you to do is get better mics. Now, you're not going to want to go and buy a mic. I'll buy it for you. He tells you to put the software. You're not going to want to do it. Just give me access to your computer using Zoom. I'm going to adjust the whole thing. There's my service. All right. All right. <laughs> if that's what you want to do, you can go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy, set up a whole business where what you do is you set up people's Zoom systems remotely so they're ready to go.
number one. And number two, I want to thank the second company, which will do email marketing right for you. It's called Send in Blue, and you can check them out. Use them for free. Sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Ali, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure, Andrew. Same here. Bye, everyone.